We begin the Kemara on the top of Daf Yudches Samadalef, right at the beginning where it says Velisni. So this is a Gemara that continues the discussion on the Mishnah, where it brought Umayde Rabbi Shua. And the point Rabbi Shua was saying in the Mishnah in the beginning of the Pedic is that in a case where a person volunteers information, and the example the Mishnah uses, this field belonged to your father, and I bought it off of him. Shunemon, so we trust him for this. Because we never had any prior knowledge that it belonged to this guy's father. Now that you said that this was so, but we also have to believe you that you bought it from him. That was the Mishnah. Oh, we discussed this already before in the Gemara here. But the Gemara wants to understand why is it choosing specifically this unique example? Why not any more simple example that it could have said to make this point of a Pesha who a Pesha So the Gemara asks as follows. <coughs> Listen, why doesn't it say in the Mishnah, that Rabbi Shua would agree in a case where a person says to his friend, I borrowed a money from you, and I paid you for this. Shunemon, that we believe him. So usually, if a person borrowed money, so then he would have to prove that he paid. But over here, because the Malva has no proof that this guy ever borrowed money from him, and he's volunteering the information that he borrowed the money, so this is a Pesha Asar, or alternatively, you call it a Migu. He could have just been quiet. So therefore, we trust him that he paid. This is a very simple case. Why does it say the complicated case with a father, with a field? Says the Gemara, Mishom, the Kaboy Lemisni Sefer, the reason they can't talk about a case where he borrowed money is because of what it says right after this in the Mishnah. So the Mishnah says, Im mimenu, If there are Edim that say that he borrowed money, and this person says, But I paid back. So here the Mishnah says, Because Edim said he borrowed the money, he's not believed to say that he paid. But the question is, why not? The Edom only said he borrowed the money. The Edom never said that he didn't pay back. So does he have to bring Edom to prove that he paid back? Do Edom have to be present when he pays back the money? But Valkaimalon, we know that we follow the halacha that Amalves Chaveira Beidim, a person that borrows money in the presence of Edom, ain't it He's not obligated to pay back the money in the presence of Edom. So even if Edom is saying that he borrowed the money, he can still argue and say that I paid it back, even without Edom. So this case would not fit with the safe of the Mishnah. Over here when the Mishnah says that when it's with Edim, that then you have to bring Edim to prove your uh, point when you're saying that you didn't pay it back, or that you did pay it back rather, that doesn't work. So therefore it brings the case with the field, and over here once there are Edim, you're going to have to bring a valid proof that you're the owner of this field. But there's another way that the Mishnah could have said this case there where Rabbi Shua is agreeing that we follow Peshasa Peshit. The listeni, why wouldn't the Mishnah say the following? That Rabbi Shua agrees when a person comes and tells his friend, Your father had a mana in my hands that I owed him. But he borrowed it or whatever it is that I owed your father a mana. Pras, literally translated, I gave him to eat half. In other words, he paid half. So this was, is what's usually known as a maide b'miktsas. He's admitting that he owes part and the other part he paid. What's usually the halach of a maide b'miktsas? This is one of the cases where minatayde, you have to make a shvua, you have to swear to back up the claim you're saying. So over here, what's the halacha? Shuhu nemam. That this person will be believed even without a shvua. 
And the reason again would be because since nobody demanded the money of him and there's no proof that the money was ever owed to the father, he volunteered the information, so therefore we believe him to say whatever amount it is that he says that he paid and he does not have to make a shvur. So this would be a case that the Mishnah could say instead of bringing the case with a soda, with a field. Says the Gemara, not necessarily. Ali b'daman. According to who is this true here that he would be potter from a shvur in this case? If you're following the opinion of the Rabbanon, as the Gemara is soon going to quote here, there's a b'raise with a machlekis between the Rabbanon and Rabbi and Yaakov about this very case here. When you have a person that is not speaking to a baldin, to, to someone that uh, he's saying that I, that I borrowed money from you, but he's telling this person that I borrowed money from your father and I paid your father. So regarding such a kind of case where basically you have a Yoyrish, a person that's here, that it's the father that the money was borrowed from. So the Rabbanon say as follows. The Rabbanan say that not only in a case where the money was being, where, where the money was not being demanded of you, so then because you volunteered the information, you'll be parted from the Shvua, even in a case where this person, this son, comes along and demands the money from you, but he doesn't know anything. And in such a case, when you say that I pay it half and I still owe you half, you're still going to be parted of a Shvua. As Gemara here says, and the reason is, Meshiv Aveda Ava, you're essentially attorney, returning a lost object. The person that was demanding the money from you had no idea about this loan. It, what, the money was never borrowed from him, it was borrowed from the father. So when you volunteer to pay half, you're essentially returning a lost object. And the halacha is, someone that returns a lost object does not make any shvua, as the Gemara will soon bring. So this is the Rabbanan's opinion, meaning, so not only in a case where you volunteered the information to, to pay half, but even if you were being demanded half, or being demanded the full money that is, and you said that you only owe half, even there you would not have to make a shvur. So it cannot go according to the Rabbanan. And if we are following the opinion of Rabbi Yazabin Yaakov, says that even in a case where it's you that came and volunteered the information that you owe the money to his father but nevertheless and then you say that you owe not only half so even though you brought up all of this information nevertheless it's like a maidah and you're obligated to make a shvua so according to Rabbi Yezabin Yaakov you cannot say that the Mishnah here should tell us that in this case because of a pesha also who a pesha you'd be potted from a shvua Rabbi Yezabin Yaakov says no you will be chayiv in a shvua so now the Gemara here brings the Braise where we see these opinions of Rabbi Yezim Yaakov and the Rabbanah. The Tanya will learn the Braise. Rabbi Yezim Yaakov, Rabbi Yezim Yaakov says, Pomim, it's possible, Shodam Nishba al that a person has to swear on a Taina that he himself says nobody is demanding anything from him. He himself brings up this whole story, and yet he'll be obligated to make a shvur for what he says. Ketzat, how's it possible? When a person says, I owed a mother to your father, and I paid him half. So Rabbi Yezmiyaka says this is no different than any Maida B'miktas, so he has to swear like a Maida B'miktas. This is an example of a person that swears with a taina that he himself says, even though there's no one else that was claiming the money from him. So here, this is Rabbi Yezmiyaka that says that in such a case, you'll still be chayiv to make a shvuah. So that's what the Gemara said before. According to Rabbi Yezmi Yaakov, this cannot be the case in the Mishnah where it's saying that because of a Pesha Asa, who a Pesha Hitter, you'd be Potter. 
The Chachamim Maimrim, on the other hand, Chachamim say, If you're not dealing with that person himself that you borrowed the money from, rather with his son, and he knows nothing, so whatever it is that you return to him, you're a Meshav Aveda. You're giving something back which for the son was completely lost. He had no way of retrieving it. So therefore, if you're a Meshav Aveda, you never make a Shavuah. And that's including even if the son demanded the money from you. Say if so, Upatr. According to the Chachamim, you're always going to be potter, not only in a case where it's a, there's a hapesh osa, peshita, you volunteer the information, but even if not, even if the son demanded the money from you, it's still considered to be a Meshav Aveda. He had no way of proving or retrieving this money, and therefore you'll be potter from a Shavuah. So that's not a case that fits into our Mishnah. But here, the Gemara now questions this opinion of Rabbi Yezim and Yaakov himself. What did it just say here? Rabbi Yezim and Yaakov, Lesle, Meshav, Aveda? Does Rabbi Yezim and Yaakov not agree to this concept when your person is returning a lost item that we will not obligate him to swear, to back up an argument or a claim that he's saying? So Rabbi Yezim and Yaakov, Lesle, Meshav, Aveda, Potter? And Rashi here brings that this concept that a Meshav Aved is Potter of a Shvua is not Menatayre, but Rashi's opinion here is that it's a Takonam Ed Rabbanan. Chachamim instituted this, that we don't want a person to say to himself, why should I bother with this object and return it if I'm going to run into problems and then I might be Chayav in a Shvua. So a Meshav Aved is not Chayav a Shvua. In this case, where a person is returning this item that nobody even demanded of him, he's offering this information that he owes half of what he once owed the father. So there's no greater Meshav Aveda than this. You're returning something that the son never knew that this money was even owed. How would Rabbi Yezim and Yaakov in such a case say that you should still have to make a Shavuah? How could this be? So therefore the Gemara now reinterprets what Rabbi Yezim and Yaakov said. Rabbi Yezim and Yaakov was not speaking in a case where you just offered up all the information there, but rather there was a cotton that came and demanded the money from you. The son, the son was a cotton and he demanded the money from you. Okay, the Gemara is going to ask on this now, but just to stop for a moment, so right here, all of the Achreinim asked the question, so if we are changing what Rabbi Yezim and Yaakov really meant to say, so then what the Gemara suggested before, that the case of the Mishnah should have been in a case where you offered up the information, and because you did, so there's a concept of a pesh, also a pesh and therefore you should be potter from a shvuah, that actually would fit with Rabbi Yezim and Yaakov. Before we quoted Rabbi Yezim Yaakov as saying that even in such a case you would still have to make a shvuah. But now the Gemara switches that. Now the Gemara says that definitely Rabbi Yezim Yaakov in such a case would agree that you're a Meshav Aveda and you're potter from a shvuah. And it's only in a case where at least a cotton is demanding the money from you, then you'll have to make a shvuah. So why can't we go back and say what the Gemara suggested before, that the Mishnah is speaking about a case where you said, that case would fit perfectly with Rabbi Yezim Yaakov's opinion. The Gemara does not address this obvious question. The Marsha, the Marshal, and many others discuss this. You can take a look there to see what they say. So, on this the Gemara asks, when he says, the Gemara asks, however, but the Master has said, middle of the page. How could you say that the case over here is that there's a cotton that's demanding the money of you? And because there's a cotton that's demanding it, so that's the reason why you have to swear to prove your claim. But we have a rule. If a cheresh or a shaita or a cotton demands money, there, there is no shvua to, to answer a cotton. He's, he's, he's not, his claim is not valid enough to have to answer this. 
Says the Gemara, no, let's go back again and understand what Rav meant to say that a cotton was, de- was demanding the money from you. My cotton, when Rav said a cotton was demanding the money, what he meant to say is Godel, that he's now a Godel. He was a cotton when his father passed away or when the money was borrowed, but now he's a Godel already. And now as a Godel, he's demanding the money from you. My Kodile cotton. So why do we refer to him as a cotton? Because Legabe Mili, the Aviv, cotton. Because regarding things that happened to, to his father, with his father, any business dealings with his father, so this child is considered to be a cotton. Because he doesn't necessarily have any knowledge what went on. So he's, he, because he doesn't know, he's like a cotton. So that's the Chiddush of Rabbi Yezab bin Yaakov in such a case when a cotton is demanding money that he says was borrowed from his father, you will have to, you'll have to make a shvua to back up your claim when you say that you paid half and you didn't pay another half, exactly like the halacha always is by a maida b'miktas. That's uh, what we're speaking about over here. Frek the Gemara, Ihachi, if that's the case, the language of the Braise before indicated differently. What did it say before in the Braise? Tainas atzmai. We said before that the case here is, Rabbi Yezab and Yaakov was teaching us that sometimes a person has to swear even if it's just him speaking and nobody demanded the money from him. But over here, according to the way you're interpreting what Rabbi Yezab and Yaakov said, Tainas achedim hi. There is somebody else that's demanding the money from you. You're saying that here there's an adult that is demanding the money from you. So why did the Braise say that this is Tainas atzmai? Answers the Gemara, you're right, Tainas Achedem. There is this adult that's now demanding the money that he says was borrowed from his father, but But this person is admitting himself. He's offering this information that I paid half, but I still owe half. That's why it says that it's Atzmai. Frek the Gemara, that's not unique in this case. This is true by every single Maide B'miktas. Every time you chayev for a shvu of Maide B'miktas, what happens? Kuli, in all of those cases, Tainasa, Tainas Achedem. Someone comes and demands money from you, $100, let's say, and Vaidas Atzmai. And what happens? You admit to half and you argue that you don't owe the other half. That's a classical Maide B'miktas. So this case is no different than any other Maide B'miktas. So why is Rabbi Yezab Yaakov saying that this is a unique case that a person has to make a shvua even though no one demanded the money from him? It's a regular case of Maide B'miktas. Ella, so therefore the Gemara goes back to what it said before, as Rashi here explains this Gemara as follows. Rashi says that now the Gemara, when it says Ella, is saying that the case of that Rabbi Yezab bin Yaakov was coming to be Mechadish, that you would have to make a Shavua, is when the one that was demanding the money from you is actually only a cotton. And usually the halacha is that if a cotton demands money of you, you don't have to make any shvua for him. And Rashi here actually brings the pasik, the last Rashi in the page, brings the pasik, kiyitin ish el re'ehu, only if there's money that went from one to his fellow. And that refers to two people that are adults, but not a cotton. But, says Rashi, that's only true when it comes to a situation where you're having an argument with a cotton that speaks to you about his money. The cotton says, I gave you money or I lent you money. Then we say that the words of a cotton will not obligate you to swear. Here though, we're speaking about something slightly different. Here, the cotton is speaking about something that happened to the father. The cotton is coming and saying, you borrowed money from my father and that's why you owe me money. That's already a little bit of a different story. And therefore, the Gemara says, Hocha over here, The argument, whether in such a case, when a cotton speaks in the name of his father, so to speak, whether you would be chayv to make a shvu when you're a maida b'miktsas, when you're agreeing partially to that claim, 
Here, this will actually depend on something that Rabbi said, a very fundamental point that Rabbi said, explaining the entire concept of the Shvu'a by every Maidah B'Miktas. And the Gemara here gives a whole introduction, bringing what Rabbi said to explain what's the story with the Shvu'a by every Maidah B'Miktas. What did Rabbi say? Rabbi said the following thing. This is a famous Gemara in the beginning of Bab Metziah. Why did the Taita say that a person that admits partially to a claim that he has to swear for this? Now, what's really the question of Rabbi? Why should he not have to swear? So the question that Rabbi is asking is, as Rashi explains there in Bob Metziah, is you're really offering to pay back something that you so easily could have denied. The person that demanded the money from you has no Aden, and therefore... Uh, therefore, you could have easily been a kaifer akayl. You could have easily just denied the whole story. What? Correct. Or you could have said, Correct, that it never happened. So the fact that you're agreeing to pay half, you're a meshiv aveda. You're offering to return something which was lost. So therefore, why would the Torah obligate a person that's a maidiv us to pay? So he explains, Rabbi explains, because, no, we don't look at this person as a meshiv aveda, that he's returning something that he could have so easily de- denied. Because actually, we have the following assumption, that when a person borrows money from someone, he has a very hard time denying that he owes this money to the face of this person that he borrowed the money from. And therefore, actually over here what's going on is, he would love to have denied all of the money that this person is demanding of him. The reason that he didn't, like even though he's a liar, and he would love to have denied the whole thing, a person doesn't have that audacity to go and deny this whole thing. So we can't look at this person, which is a as someone that, oh look, he's so honest, he's offering that he paid half. No, that, that he's ready to still pay half, that is. No, we don't look at it that way. We actually look at him that he's actually a liar, but he's just having a hard time denying the whole thing, and therefore he admits to half. That's one point that the Rabbi says for Maidim and Mikzas, which is actually the main point that the Gemara will focus on. If the Tavai has an aid, then he Oh, that's a different story. Right. Now, here, we're speaking about Maidim and Mikzas, where the one that demands the money has, has nothing, no proof at all. Now, there's an additional point that Rabbi says. This is actually not relevant for the point that we're going to see here soon, but the Gemara brings the full statement that Rabbi said. And now Rabbi comes to address another question. This is, this is a few pshatim here in this Gemara, but this is the way Rashi explains it in Bab Metziah. But now really, this individual that is agreeing that he still owes half, he would have been ready to admit to it all and pay it all. Now the reason why the Gemara is saying this, as Rashi explains, why is all of a sudden the Gemara looking at this from the reverse? Again, don't forget when this person is admitting to half and denying half, we don't really know what's going on. We're assuming, we're trying to figure out whether this person is a liar or not. Now the Gemara says it's actually possible that it's the other way around, that really he would love to pay the whole thing. Now why is the Gemara saying this? So Rashi says in Bab Metziah that the reason is because if we are going to come along with the assumption that this person is a liar and he would have loved to deny the whole thing and steal all the money. It's just that it's too much of an audacity for him to do that. So then, how can we obligate this person to make a shvu in the first place? We have the following rule, as Rashi quotes there in Bab Metziah. If you suspect someone of stealing, you certainly should suspect them of swearing falsely. So what are you going to gain by having him swear that he owes this money, only owes half and not the other half? He's going to swear falsely just like he was ready to well, steal the money. That's a different story. Here we're talking about a shvua minatayre. Here we're talking about a shvua of maidim and miktas minatayre. So the question is, what are we gaining with the shvua? So therefore the Gemara says, there's another possibility here. That really this person is honest and he would love to pay the whole thing. 
So why did he not admit to it all? Because he doesn't have money up front right now to pay it all. So therefore he's trying to avoid full payment today. So he, so he says, I only owe you half and he'll pay half today. And then tomorrow, the next week or in a month or in a year, he'll pay it up all. That's what his plan was. Why would he pay half later? So there, what again? He already did school. Why he's going to say? Well, he's, he's saying, well, he's uh, so now, now that we force him, now that we force him to make a shvua, since he's an honest fellow, he's not going to make this shvua. He's going to come forward and he's going to agree that he owes it all. And the Saba, he was thinking to himself, until I'll get, I'll get more money, and then I'll pay him. So the Torah says, Let's place the obligation for him to swear. So he should come and admit it all right now. And as Rishayim add to this, we don't want this person to pay it up later. When a person makes up his mind that he's going to pay it up later, what ends up happening, as often happens, you, correct, you don't end up paying it. So therefore the Torah wants him to admit it all now to pay it. Okay, so this is a story regarding every Maid of the way Rabbi explains what the Shavuah is. Now, the first part of what Rabbi says was a very fundamental point. The only reason we force a person that's made the b'miktas to make a shvua, and we don't look at him as this honest person, look, he was so nice, he admitted to half, is because we say, no, actually the contrary could be true. He's really a ganav. It's just that he doesn't have the audacity to steal at all. That's, the whole, that's a very big fundamental point regarding a made the Now the question is, does this apply in a case when you're not facing the person that you borrowed the money from him. You're only facing the son of the person that you borrowed the money from him. So now here comes the argument. Says the Gemara, Rabliyaz's opinion is, This point, this fundamental point here regarding the Maidu Mix, there's no difference if it's the father that you actually borrowed the money from or the son. Either way, we can say the same point, that he does not have the audacity to deny it all, and therefore we don't look at him as an honest person. So we'll have to make a shvua. But, and therefore, the Hilkach, that is, the Gemara concludes the point there, Lav We don't look at him as an honest person that's returning this lost item by offering that he is going to pay half. But Rabbanan, Rabbanan, however, say there's a huge difference. Regarding the, the father who he borrowed the money from, he's not going to have the chutzpah to deny the, all of it in his face. So therefore, regarding the father, yes, we would say that he's not a Meshavavei, that he's not so honest. If he's only facing the son, he never borrowed the money from him, he never did, did him this favor. He never, he never is the one that, that uh, was nice to him. Mayus, he would be ready to say straight in his face that I don't owe you a penny. So if in fact he is a liar, he definitely would have denied the whole thing. So from the fact that over here that he's not, that he's not denying the whole thing, and he would be ready to, so he's considered to be that he's returning something that he so easily could have uh, gotten away with not returning. So therefore, in this situation, he's not chayiv to make a shvua. This is what the Rabbanan say. When you're facing the sun, you're not going to be chayiv to make a shvua. Over here, we look at you as a Meshavah Veda, as an honest person. Oh, that's a different story. We're going to have to wait until we get to Bab Metziah. Okay, we continue here with the next Mishnah, which will bring up a subject that's also related to the rule of HaPesha Asahu HaPesha Hitin, right. that when you're the one that brings up information, so we have to believe everything you say. Witnesses come along and say, This document here that has our signature on it, yes, it is our signature. So as Rashi explains, the point here is that every shtar, Chachamim instituted, that you have to verify the signatures in order for the shtar to be accepted. So there was no verification for the shtar other than the Edim themselves coming and telling us that it's my 
handwriting that this is my signature. We had no other source of verification. They are the ones that verify this. But then, no, there are, you, if you, you could match the signatures to another signature that they signed somewhere else. You could bring, you could bring other witnesses. You could bring other witnesses that recognize these signatures and can say there are, there are other ways to verify a document. But over here, they, <coughs> again, it's handpicked. That's what's called handpicked. When you verify a document, that's mm -hmm. called handpicked, correct. But over here, in the nation, the beginning of the mission, we're speaking about a case that this document was not verified, and it's these Adim that are verifying it right now. But then they immediately add Aval Anusima, you know? Well, we, yes, we did sign it. However, we signed in a false document. Uh, Why did we do so? Anusama Yinu, we were forced to do this. Or Ketanama Yinu, we were children, we were young, and we didn't know, had no idea what we're signing on. Or Psuleidus Yinu. At that point, we were people that are Pasuleidus. There's all kinds of examples of a person that's Pasuleidus, a Russia, person that uh, lends ribis, and so, so all kinds of situations. And, and so therefore, they're telling us that the Shtar is Pasul. So they're going to be believed. So again, the reason they're believed here is based on the concept we said before. If they're the ones that are verifying the star, so we have to accept the full story that they say of what happened. However, if there's independent proof for their signatures, there are other witnesses that are coming and tell us, telling us that this is their handwriting, this is their signature. Or one of the other ways of how to verify a star is by having their signatures elsewhere. You can compare the signatures. So now they come along and tell us any information about the star. They want to puzzle the star. They want to invalidate the star by saying, oh, that when we signed it, we were children or we were forced. We're not going to listen to them at all. The star is already fully accepted and verified without them opening their mouth. So Rami Bachama said, we did not learn the halacha that it said in the this, in this Seife, in the second part of the Mishnah, that once the Shtar is already verified, that we don't trust them to say anything. Ella, that's only If they were saying that we were forced to sign this Shtar because we were being offered financially, or, or not only offered financially, somebody that came to them and said to them, listen, if you're not going to sign this Shtar, I'm going to no, not kill you, not kill you. No, again, the person came along and said, if you're not going to sign the Shtar, I'm going to take away all the money you have in your pocket. So you're not, you're not allowed to do such a thing. You're not allowed to sign a Shtar when someone threatens you to take away all your money. So in such a case, as Rashi explains, the point here is there's a rule, as the Gemara will quote soon, Ain Adam Mesim Atzmei Rasha. A person, there's a Gemara quoted here clearly soon, just a moment, or maybe it's in, only in Rashi. Ain Adam Mesim Atzmei Rasha. A person is never believed to say that I am or I was a Rasha. So over here, if you're coming and saying that, you know why I signed the Shtar? Because I wanted to save myself from this guy stealing money from me. So then you're essentially making yourself a Rasha. You were ready to sign on a false document just because you wanted to save yourself $1,000 or $10,000, doesn't matter how much money it was. So you're making yourself a Rasha, that's why they're not believed. Even in this case here, where the star was already fully verified, without them, but now they're coming and saying that when we signed this star, the reason we signed it is because the person threatened to kill them. And that's why they signed it. Then they actually are believed. Then you're not making yourself a Russia. So then you will be believed to say that the star is, is invalid because you signed it, uh, you were being forced to sign it. This is what Rami Bachama said. So again, the Gemara now understands that Rami Bachama is speaking about the Sefer of the Mishnah when the star is already valid without their certification. It was already valid from before. 
Says the Gemara, Amalei Rave, or Amar Rave, Rave said, Kol Kemini, in such a case where the star was already validated without them, would they now be believed to invalidate the star and say that we signed it and it's a false document because someone threatened to kill us? Are they believed to say such a thing? Can't be. Why? We have the following rule when it comes to Avis, a very fundamental rule regarding testimony. Once you offer your testimony in Bezdin, you cannot come and retract that testimony and, and change the testimony that you already gave. Now, so the question is over here as well. Once you have the star, and the star is basically testimony, and it's a valid star without you saying anything. So once it's a valid star, you cannot come later and say that when we signed it, it's really puzzle, and we were puzzle, we were forced to sign the star. You can't invalidate a document that was already signed. It's already testimony that was already given. Now, if you'll argue and say that this rule about Eidos, that's only when you're speaking in Bezdin. But when you speak about testimony that's in the signatures of a star, maybe over here they could retract and come now and invalidate this star. Says the Gemara, but that's not true because we have another rule regarding every star. But Reish Lakish said, Anytime Adim sign on a star, the validity of the signatures of a star is as strong as Adim that was standing in front of us and speaking to us and have been interrogated by the Bezdin. So therefore, the signatures on the star is a full-fledged testimony. So how could the Rami Barchome here say that they can come after the fact and after the star has already been independently verified and they are going to come now past the star? Says the Gemara, so we have to switch what Rami Barchome said. El or rather, ki itmer areshe itmer. The statement before of Rami Barchome was actually taught regarding the ratio of the Mishnah. What did it say in the ratio of the Mishnah? That in the case when the star was not independently verified, it's these eight in themselves that are coming to verify the star right now. So, yeah, this, this statement that Rami Bachama said goes on the ratio of the Mishnah. That over there, what, what was it speaking about in the ratio when the star was not independently verified? They are the ones that are verifying the star right now. And on this the Mishnah said that they are believed to add and say that yes, we signed the star, but we were forced to sign it. And therefore what's written in the star is false. And on this, Amar Rami So regarding this, Rami says, We will only accept what they say if, if, if they're telling us that they were forced because they were being threatened to be killed. And over here we accept it. And the reason is because since the star was not independently verified before, they are the ones that are giving the testimony right now to verify this star, to verify these signatures. So if Teich Kedei Dibur is, if in one statement they add immediately, yes, it's our signature, but we were forced to sign this falsely, so then we have to accept what they say. This is not going to fall under the category of Kivin Shehigit, Shuvin Echazer Maga, that you can't retract the Edis that you're saying because you're the one that's validating it right now. But this is only if it's Machmas Nefoshes, if they come and say that we were forced to sign this because our lives was in danger. But if they come and say, yes, this is our signature. But then they come and add and say that what happened, why did we sign it? Because you wanted to save money that someone threatened to take away from us. Then ain't no money. Then they will not be believed. Oh, so the Gemara here actually says it. And the reason is, my timer, what's the reason? Ain't Adam Mason Rasha. A person is not believed to testify and say that I am a Rasha. That's the rule. So therefore over here, even though they are adding and they're telling us this information, and not only that, 
Before, the Gemara said, there's a very strong reason to believe them because HaPesha, so HaPesha hit it. If I'm validating this whole Shtar, shouldn't you have to believe the whole story that I said, that this is the circumstances and therefore the Shtar is really false? But nevertheless, this concept of Eino Demesim Atzmei Rasha is even stronger. The fact that we don't allow a person to make himself a Rasha is even in a case where he has a good reason to be believed. The Peshasa Peshayitr, still Eino Demesim Atzmei Rasha. And therefore, that's what Rami Bachame came to say that in the ratio of the Mishnah, when it said Anusim Ayinu is believed, that's only Anusim Achmas Nefashais, when they're not making themselves a Rasha, but Anusim Achmas Mami, when they're making themselves a Rasha, they will not be believed. Okay, we'll stop over here. The next piece continues to the next page. Mr. Shem, the next share. Sure,